Welcome to LifeBridge. Hello, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming to church with us this morning. I want to say welcome. My name is John. I am the administrative pastor here at church, which means that I administrate. Th- I don't know what it means, but anyway, welcome. Thanks for being here with us. We are glad that you joined us. If you are visiting or if you're newish and you want to get more connected or learn about our church, there's cards in the seats in front of you that you can use. You can fill those out. Drop boxes on each end of the hallway, and um, you can drop them in there, and we will follow up with you. Uh, also, anybody you see up here, you can just kind of walk up to and talk to us. We're not, there's no green room here or anything. Like, we're pretty uh, accessible to the public, as it were. So feel free to come up, ask your questions. We would love to meet you. I want to remind you guys about My Life Ridge. My Life Ridge is the best place to stay up to date on what's going on. MyLifeRidge.church or through our website. You can scroll to the bottom. There's a button. You can save it on your phone. That's a great way to stay up to date with what's going on. So check out My Life Ridge. We just want to thank you for your giving that supports our mission. Um, the Bible says it is better to give than re- to receive. And that's the heart that we always try to remember in, in terms of living generously. We want to be a church that gives in a generous way. We want that to be a part of our culture as a church. When we served our, our community a couple weeks ago, it's that same mentality of just generosity. And it's, uh, it's life-giving. And we want you to be a part of it. And we want, you to, um, we want you to experience the joy that comes from that. We also can't, we can't do what we do without it. So we thank you to those of you who have been uh, generous and faithful over the years. We want to say thank you. Giving can be done online. We have Venmo and there's giving boxes again on each end of the hallway, right out here and then up in the lobby. So thank you for your giving. I want to talk for just a minute today about growing together. We are, are kind of, when we did a vision update earlier this year, we've been talking, we've been talking all, basically all fall so far about this idea of being all in, all together. And what we do for this year, we are focused on doing things together. Doing things together. We've talked about belonging together. Just last week I talked a little bit about belonging together and, and what that's about and how we want to be a church where people can find true belonging in community together. We've talked about serving together. Serving together, we did just a few weeks ago. We served our community, right? And uh, that was on October 10th. And we'll be doing that again um, in January. And then the third one is growing together. So belonging together, serving together, growing together. Today we're talking about growing together. Because as we talk about belonging, belonging is, is an important part of church. Belonging is about feeling like you've got family, like you've got people Um, that you can lean on, depend on. But we also, in a church setting, we want those relationships to be relationships that spark growth. We don't want it to just be about belonging and togetherness. We, We want it to be about growth. So growing together is the other part of that. And the idea there is pretty simple, that that whoever we are, wherever we're at in our lives, by coming and being a part of a church community, if you fast forward a year down the road that you've been a part of it, or three years down the road, or five years down the road, you should not be the same person that you were the first time you walked in the door. None of us should be the same a year from now that we are today. We want to be a place of life change. Uh, One of our values we talk about a lot is that we fight for life-changing community. Life-changing community. And one half of that equation is, is the relationships. But the other half of that equation is that it actually sparks change. It actually makes us more like something. And in a church setting, that thing that we want to be more like is Christ. That's what we gather around. That's what life-changing community is all about. We don't want to be the same person. 
we don't we don't want to stay the same. Now this is difficult because some of us we don't we don't love change, right? Change is an ever, everyone's favorite thing. I, if you know me well, love change. It can be a real problem sometimes how much I like change. Who else? Just hands up. I'm just curious. Who's more of like a yeah, I like change. Who's like a, I like change person? And who's like a, why can't it stay the same? Who's more like that? Who's that kind of person? Right? So I just, Tom was raising his, Tom was raising, he runs the sound. He's very good at it. We've had times, it'll be like five minutes before service starts, and I'm, and I'm like, hey, Tom, I'm going to go swap a couple things back here because I think it's going to like, whatever. And he's just like, uh, right now? And I'm like, yeah, it'll be fine. And I just like go start doing it, and he's just like, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that right now, right? I like change. Not everybody does. But when it comes to becoming more like Jesus, when it comes to becoming more like, um, more like the kingdom of heaven and doing that together in community, there's an aspect of change about it that can sometimes be intimidating, but we should be able to embrace. Our lives will change. And honestly, whether, we, um, whether it changes in a community like this or outside, some of that we can't control, right? Our lives change either way. And sometimes we, we fight and we grasp and, and we claw to, like, fight against all of these forces that are saying, hey, this is going to change now. There's nothing you can do about it. And sometimes we resist that. And I want to be a place where we embrace good change together. And not just change like, hey, we're going to change the lights or we're going to, not that kind of change. Change of our lives look different in a good way because of the time that we've spent together. Our lives look more like Jesus. The other thing I want to say is growing together, it's not about a specific arrival point. So I want you to hear my heart here. I'm not saying this is how much I know about the Bible and I need all of you to know as much about the Bible as I do um, or something like that. It's about a culture of growth. It's not about an arrival point. There's no specific bar that you hit. It's about being lifelong learners. It's about being curious people, about learning more about God's will, God's way, and God's plan. Um, as a very wise uh, poet once said, it's not about what's waiting on the other side, it's the climb, and that's Miley Cyrus. Amen? Yes, thank you. Thank you. So, but truly... It is. It's not, about, it's not about arriving at a certain place. It's about continuing to be the kind of people who embrace our lives changing to become more like Jesus. That's got to be a piece of the puzzle for us. That's got to be a part of why we gather. Our, our community with each other can't be a professional network. It can't be a friend group. It has to be something else. It has to be built around the kingdom of God, centered around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's part of who we want to be. And with that, with that said, we are having a conference coming up. Oh, my gosh. What happened to the slide? Someone's got to eat this. Ian? It's Ian. No, Ian's not on staff anymore, but it's still his fault. Um, isn't that a dope graphic, guys? Look at that thing. Well, the date, which is obscured, <laughs> is November 14th through 21st. Um, you know what? I'm just going to go like that, and there's cards on your chairs. Look at those instead. Ignore that. 
We're going to be talking about this conference for the next few weeks leading up to November 14th. We have guest speakers on both Sundays, and we have things happening on Tuesday night, Thursday night, and Saturday. And we need you guys to come and be a part of those things. This is the time where we, this is the time where we focus on our growth together. You guys have probably noticed we don't have a ton of stuff on our church calendar. We don't expect you here every Wednesday night. We don't expect you here two Saturdays a month or anything like that. Once a quarter, essentially, we're going to do this, this time of focused growth that we call Conference Week. We need you to come and be a part of it. Check out the card, sign up, um, and, uh, and we are, we're really, really excited about, about the content that's going to be coming up um, during that week. So please do come and join us. Check that out. With, uh, with that, I'm going to invite up the guy who I think might be the reason the slide is messed up, but I'm not sure. But, I, but are you willing to shoulder this one? Yeah, okay. I'll take it. Uh, please welcome Pastor John Adams. <laughs> Thanks, man. We're just going to go back to this one more time. Golly, <laughs> that's such a bummer. To be clear, what happened is I thought the uh, computer here that it plays off of had the font, so it's a different font there. Than I thought I just didn't have the font on my computer. This computer doesn't have the font either, so it's supposed to change it when it has the font downloaded on there. We're just going to move on. Whatever. Who cares? Screwed that one up. All right, let's pray. We'll start with the sermon. Lord, God, we love you. We praise you. And Father, it is our heart to just grow closer to, to you. We want to know you more. Lord, we want to grow closer in community. We want to be spurred on towards love and good works. So Lord, help us to, help us to never be uh, content, never be satisfied with knowing you. Um, Lord, help us to continue to grow. And Lord, we want to grow even now as we open your word together. And as we sing praises to you together, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as that uh, graphic was trying to display, our campaign is called Reconstruct. And we are talking about how, how to reconstruct our faith. Uh, what are some of the foundational elements of our faith that we should build our life on? I'm going to go through this one more time, okay? So if you've been here the last uh, two weeks I've preached, I've gone through this. I'm going through it one more time in case if you haven't been here and you haven't seen this. Uh, this kind of just outlines and kind of describes in picture form what this campaign is all about. So uh, here's our Christian guy, just a whatever, stereotypical person. He has a lot of Christ-like traits where he loves God, he is generous, he loves helping others, things like that. But this dude also has blind spots, um, and these spots are blind to him. He doesn't see them, he doesn't know um, what he doesn't know about himself, that he's arrogant, he's a little overly certain, as we've talked about. Um, perhaps. And he has a lot of untrue beliefs as well. He believes in a very hyper-individualized uh, gospel, which is a very Americanized gospel. And then over time, these just begin to blur, uh, as this graphic is trying to uh, illustrate. They just kind of become the same thing. And then over, over time, if this is the faith that you've constructed, whether through your childhood or whenever you accepted Christ in those early years of faith, uh, in the church denomination that you were a part of, people who were very influential in your life, perhaps, and just helped form you. And we all have this. None of us are immune from this, uh, especially based on the culture that we were raised in. We're all raised in a culture, so we all have aspects of this in our Christian faith. But then, over time, they just kind of become Christianity to you. So those blind spots, those untrue beliefs, they become a part of your perception of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and even though they are still untrue and they are still blind spots. So the part of discipleship is going through this process constantly of deconstructing our 
blind spots, when they become aware to us, uh, whether it's through life circumstances or teaching or through uh, usually like your spouse. <laughs> when, you just, when you get married, you realize how selfish you are, you tend to. And then when you have kids, you realize, I'm super selfish. You know? And then these blind spots come to the forefront and then you have to deal with it. And then what do you do with that? You have to deconstruct these blind spots, these untrue beliefs that you had. And then you reconstruct your faith around what? And how do you reconstruct your faith? That's what this campaign is all about. Focusing on some of these blind spots that we have, some of these untrue beliefs that we have, and turning them into the truth of Jesus that he taught, that scripture shows us and reveals to us. So this whole campaign, we are talking about how to reconstruct our faith around the truth of scripture. And we're pointing out some of these blind spots or some of these things, untrue beliefs that are very common in the church today, okay? So some of these might be painful, might be kind of difficult. You might be thinking, I'm not me, right? I encourage you, as we go through these, you keep hearing this throughout this campaign, that when they hear it, you hear this, and you're like, oh, that was, that's pretty, like a big idea. Uh, I need to think through this. I need, I need to process it, okay? Don't walk out of here thinking, I need to process this and think through it and search the scripture and then just never do it, which is what we're, we all tend to do, right? We, we walk out of church and we think, man, there's a lot of stuff I need to think through. And then we just kind of get into our week or we turn on the football game or whatever and we just forget about it entirely. Don't do that with this. Okay, keep working, keep processing, keep thinking. We need to. It's so important for our life of continued growth and growing together. So you need to think and you need to spend time with this stuff and wrestle with it. So today, our topic is accomplishment for calling. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I need to really go through uh, and, and prove this to you very much that we live in a very accomplishment, uh, results-oriented, results-driven culture. I see it in my personal experience looking at our culture, um, maybe just because I'm a sports fan fanatic of sorts. I see it in the sports world, most of all. This topic of uh, show me like what you've accomplished and how significant, how important that is in the sports conversations. Okay, this, this is going to hurt a little bit for me to say, but after last week, all right, I think it's true. Um, the, I think Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Okay, like, maybe it's, maybe it's because of my perception as a Bears fan, watching the Packers destroy the Bears, watching Aaron Rodgers win 22 out of, what, 27 times they've played together. Infuriating. Can't stand the guy. But he's a very good quarterback. He's unreal. And if I'm honest with you, I think he's probably a better quarterback than Tom Brady when it comes to his accuracy, his decision-making, his distance passing, like every aspect of the game when it comes to being a quarterback, he, he's probably better from my perception. You can argue that later. But when you listen to anyone, any commentators talking about that, they always go to championships, right? They say, well, Tom Brady has more championships, so he's the GOAT. He has the results. And when I say goat, I mean like greatest of all time, if you're not familiar with that, okay? Like that means he's the best. Like because he has these championships, I mean his stats are good, obviously, but he has the championships, the results, the accomplishments to back it all up. 
And we see that all throughout the sports world. And it's in its most annoying form is in the NBA, where all of these players now are like creating super teams, going to play with their buddies. Like you get the best players together, both on the East Coast and the Nets and the West Coast and the Lakers. Right? They all just kind of get their buddies together, these super teams, and to win championships. Because now to be considered the best player ever, you have to have a lot of championships under your belt. Even though it really kind of diminishes the value of a championship when you've just like, got all your free agent buddies together and created this amazing super team, right? It doesn't matter. You need the championships. We have this results-oriented culture. Same as in business. You got the bottom line. Has to be, has to look good. Right, that's what it all kind of boils down to. In the church, it's the same. We talked last week in our power for service topic and how uh, churches and people who have attended these mega churches have overlooked abuses from church leaders because they are getting results. People are coming. They're building this massive church. People are accepting Jesus. People are being baptized. Like, look at the results. How can this person's character then be bad? Or, like, how can this be bad in general if the results are happening? Church growth strategies are everywhere. Uh, my inbox is just constantly getting bombarded with, like, how to grow your church, how to grow your church. Here's what you need to do. Buy this program. Come to this conference. Do this, and it'll grow your church. Here's how you get results. When I talk to people in just one-on-one -on -one conversations, oftentimes I hear the same. Like We are too busy uh, trying to accomplish something, searching for results, trying to achieve results, whether it's in work or at home, that we have no time for a con contemplative life. I hear it constantly. In churches, we've come to only really value what we can measure and to know that we are achieving results, right? Things like attendance, things like baptisms, things like prayers of faith, or walking the aisle, coming to say a prayer, or raising hands, whatever. We can't measure discipleship. You just can't. I've thought about this for years. Like, how do I measure discipleship? You can't. And so we've come to devalue it in the church. So what does this do to us? When we emphasize or focus on an accomplishment or achievement, results-oriented life over our calling, it leads us to compromise our values. In order to achieve results, we will do unethical things, especially in, in arenas like work and business, etc. To achieve what we want, we'll compromise our morals and values. Second, we can't rest. If you're always driving to achieve, whether it's Make your house better, make, uh, build a better life for your family through work, like all these good motivations that we have. We're trying to achieve something, we're trying to accomplish some goal that we have that we cannot rest. There, there is no such thing as internal rest in your life and in your home because you are always working for something else. If you're accomplishment oriented, that's a symptom of it. Failure, eventually you will fail. And when you fail to achieve a result or accomplish something that you have set out to accomplish, it often leads to an identity crisis. It's not just sadness over failing. It's now my identity is wrapped up in me achieving results and accomplishing something. I don't know who I am anymore that I've failed. Here's what 
Here's what Gordon McDonald says on it. He says, driven people often project a bravado of confidence as they forge ahead with their achievement-oriented life plan. But often at the moment when it is least expected, adversities and obstructions conspire and there can be a personal collapse. Called people, on the other hand, possess strength from within, a quality of perseverance and power that are impervious to the blows from without. So what he's saying is, we need to go back to this idea of being called. This is the Christian concept too, that we need to replace with our results-oriented, achievement-driven, accomplishment-driven culture is this concept of calling and who, who we are called to be both and what are we called to do. We need to develop this well, time-tested sense of Christian calling. When we do develop that, it leaves us able to rest leads us able to trust God in his sovereignty that he will accomplish his purpose whether we are working or not. So, one example of this that I wanted to point to today is John. Uh, this guy's known as John the Baptist, okay? I had heard somebody call him John, keeps calling him John the Baptizer, and I was like, why? That's so weird. Growing up, I've always heard John the Baptist. I was thinking, why would he say that? And the only thing I can come up with is maybe because you might think that he's a part of the Baptist denomination, like John was a Baptist, like a Southern Baptist. Okay, he's not, all right, didn't exist. Baptist denomination won't exist for like 1,600 years at this point, right? Uh, but yeah, he, he's called the Baptist because he baptizes people. Let's just clarify that, all right? <clears throat> Beginning in John 1, verses 19 to 20, it says, this, now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Okay, so this is something we're going to see in this text. Is John's constantly, he knows who he is, and he knows who he is not. They're trying to figure out who this guy is and why he's baptizing so many people and why he's, he, he has built this very effective ministry. People from all over uh, the Judean countryside are coming to be baptized by John. He's got tons of people following him. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. The Pharisees had sent a group of people, a little delegation to go figure out who this guy John is. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah 43. It's a common, uh, as a prophetic, uh, prophetic element in the Old Testament that says that a prophet will come before the Messiah to prepare the way for him. And that's who John is saying that he is. His, his, he is the one who's to come before the Lord. He is the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's very clear about that. So again, so now the Pharisees who had been sent question him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, so let's pause here real quick. Think... Okay, John's got this large crowd following him. He's baptizing people. People are, the, the Pharisees are sending people to him to say, who are you? Imagine being John at this time. Imagine 
him thinking like, okay, everybody's asking me if I am the Messiah. He might get some pretty nefarious thoughts and think like, hey, I bet I could probably convince people that I am the Messiah. This comes with great privilege, prestige. I've got a large following. Like, I could live a pretty luxurious lifestyle and have it pretty good if I just convince people that I am. I bet I could, I could pull this off for a long time and make a good living for myself, right? And worse, he may even come to start to think that he is the Messiah and think, look at all these people coming. Look at all these people being baptized by me. Look at the impact that I'm having. Look at how effective my ministry is. Look at the results I'm getting. You know what? Maybe I am the Messiah. But John is so clear about who he is, who he is not, what he has been called to do, and what he has not been called to do. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Okay, again, you see this playing through time and time again. He knows who he is. He knows who he's not. He knows what he's called to do. He knows what he's not called to do. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. Okay, so John is very clear. This whole exchange, again, very clear who he is and what he has been called to do. And he's not overstepping that bound, boundary. Now let's fast forward a couple chapters to John 3. And we see things start, continue to progress. So... There's this argument going on between John's disciples and a certain Jewish person. And so they come to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, talking about Jesus, the one, uh, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Say, hey, John, look, this, like, new, this new like church starting up down the street, everybody's leaving you and going to hang out with him. They talk about a, a hit to your pride, Right? Again, if John wasn't so confident in who he was, who he was not, what he was called to do, and what he was not called to do, he'd be very offended by this, right? Like, all of the people whom I was influencing are leaving. And now, they're going to this other guy. What the heck, right? What am I going to do? To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He has this concept of stewardship that is so vitally important for our life that John knows that he doesn't, he doesn't hold this power and influence in and of himself. The influence that he has over the people who have been coming to hear him, to be baptized by him, his own disciples even, was given him by God. And in the same way, all that we have has been given us by God. It's not yours. It's God's. When you die, it will go to God or to somebody else, right? Ultimately, it all belongs to him anyways. So this concept of stewardship 
again, is vital in John's life. So he has stewardship, his concept. He's got his concept of he knows who he is, who he's not, what he's been called to do, and what he's not been called to do. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And you guys can come in and set up. The joy is mine and is now complete. Okay. Um, even if you're not a pastor, like, I think you can get this, right? Like, watching all of your people leave and go to somebody else's uh, influence and under their leadership, John says that's a joy. The joy is mine, he says. Because he knows that's, that he was called to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so him working and doing what he has been called to do, which now he's about to kind of rescind into obscurity. Whereas he's not going to be famous anymore on the religious scene in Israel. He's not. And he says it's a joy for him to still do what he has been called to do. He must become greater. I must become less. I hope you guys are seeing the humility. You're seeing the well-formed life of John the Baptist here on display. He didn't get defensive. He didn't get angry. He didn't get bothered by it. He must become greater. I must become less. John had this strong sense of call. He was called to first an identity. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he wasn't. He knew what he was called to do. He knew what he was called not to do. And so when the time came for him to, as I said, rescind into obscurity, yeah, let's go. He's retiring. <laughs> it's kind of a weird retirement because he gets put in prison and then he gets his head cut off. But it's one form of retirement, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but as he's losing influence and Jesus is gaining influence, he takes joy in that because he has a strong sense of his call. If John were driven by accomplishment and results-oriented lifestyle and that value, he would have been furious. Like one, he probably would have had a Messiah complex and tried to convince everybody that he was the Messiah and gained more influence and power. He didn't. He certainly would have been furious when Jesus came on the scene and started taking his people. <laughs> and he would have fought tooth and nail to keep them, but he didn't. Because John had such a strong concept of his own calling. We'll apply this later when I come back up even more. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of John the Baptist. We thank you, Lord, for his, his courage, his confidence in who he is. Lord, I pray that we would all see this, that we would all learn from this. We develop a similar confidence in who we are and what we've been called to do. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
Thank you, Lord. Again, that you have called us your children, that we can be confident and know who we are. Because, Lord, your word is true. We trust it. Lord, even when we don't, <laughs> we don't really want to think it for ourselves. Or we may think it's true, but not true for me. Lord, we trust your word over our ideas. And so, Lord, we want to rest in knowing who we are to you and how you look at us and how you view us, even when we don't feel like it. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word that we can believe and trust. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments. <clears throat> so now let's apply this. When we talk about calling, talk about calling in a few different senses. First of all, when we talk about calling, it means first you are called to be, as we were just singing about. We were called to be a child of God. We're, we're called to an identity first. We're called to a status with God first. And then there's a calling that we all as Christians share, and that is to things like ethics, to, to love your neighbor, to uh, not sin, to be a part of a community, to be a part of a body of Christ. Those are universal Christian callings. But the one that always kind of gets us is like the, the specific individual calling that we all have of what are we called to do. What are we called to do? Now, we spent an entire uh, campaign last year in the Redemptive Life talking about this, that this is not just for pastors. This is not just for people who are called to full-time ministry. God calls us to our occupation, whether it's a carpenter, whether it's uh, working with your hands, whether it's a teacher, whatever job you are called to do, it, view that as a calling. Now, what we're going to see is sometimes we need, when we really explore this calling idea, sometimes that means we need to change our occupation because God may be calling us to something different. Sometimes we may need to just come to view our current occupation in a different lens and in a different way as being called by God to this. More on that later. But first, first of all, to live out our calling, instead of a, a drivenness to achieve, we must first have a proper view of stewardship, like John said. That he knew that the people who were under his influence weren't his, they were given him by God. And he knew who, we have to know who we are and who we are not. That's that first sense of calling that I talked about. That you have to have this confidence of who you are and who you are not. Again, in our text from John 3, we see John saying a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So our theology around stewardship has to be solid when we talk about calling. And this is something that we have to come back to because time and time again throughout our life, you'll think this to be true today and then on Wednesday. By Wednesday this week, you'll be like, all of this is mine, right? <laughs> you'll walk out of here and be like thinking, I get it. I get it. Viewing all of uh, my stuff is God's. I'm a steward of it. I'm just caring for it here. It all belongs to him. I know my, my money, my house, my occupation, my family. It, it all belongs to God, right? But then by Wednesday, you're like, okay, it's mine again. <laughs> I'm taking control of this, God. I'm like, thanks. I got this now. So this is a theology we have to constantly remind ourselves of and call ourselves back to. Remember that this belongs to God. And then second, we have to know who we are 
and who we are not. As I said, first, our calling is to an identity, and that is a status with God. And second, our calling is to some sort of mission or what God has called us to do specifically. Don't confuse those two. Don't put the first one, or don't put the second one first. Don't put the mission first. And a good kind of check is when somebody asks you, who are you? And the first thing you go to is your occupation. That probably means you've flipped them. If the first thing you think of or the first thing you introduce yourself with is usually what you do for a living, you flipped with what you do uh, for who you are. And they've kind of become entangled. And those need to be untangled. And you need to have a firm foundation to establish who you are. Pete Scazzaro in his Seven Pillars of Healthy Discipleship Culture, he says, be before you do. This is what he means. That you need to be, understand and be confident and know that you are a child of God. Know who you are to God and how God views you before you go about on mission for him. Because if you confuse the two or the two are entangled and you're driven in this accomplishment-oriented uh, culture that we are in, then when you fail, that's when your identity crisis <laughs> happens. Or when you lose your job and you get fired from your job, an identity crisis seeps in. It was like me when I realized I, I'm not that good at basketball and I'm not going pro. An identity crisis set in. I'm like, now what? What do I do? I had intertwined the two, right? And looking back, like, oh, that was so foolish. What the heck? I had no shot, but I convinced myself of it, right? And my identity was wrapped up in that. And that was a painful untangling. And so I wrote on my phone in college that my identity in Christ, I'm a child of God. I had to constantly remind myself of that. And it really, that was a deconstructive moment for me where I had to untangle the two of my occupation with my identity. So in the devotional this week, I wrote a bunch of, er, uh, uh, John Tyson, uh, he, I, I quoted him with a bunch of uh, statements about who we are in Christ. Read those, copy and paste them, put them somewhere where you will see regularly to remind yourself of who you are. And don't jump to your mission first. So if you live in your mission first, then when things go south, it turns into an identity crisis. And to be honest with you, when you find that the two have kind of become entangled, uh, Gordon McDonald in his book, uh, he, Ordering Your Inner World, he talks about this a lot. Talks about preparing for the time when you, you will rescind into obscurity, essentially, in your occupation, when you will no longer be needed. And if your identity is totally wrapped up with what you do, you will not be able to do that. That will be the most painful process. And you will hold on way too long. And you won't be able to pass it off to somebody else because you'll think that you are needed. So plan for that now. Ultimately, you will <laughs> rescind into obscurity when you die, right? But there will be smaller ones along the way. So plan for that. And one of the best ways to do that is to untangle your identity from your mission. Then later, John says it's a joy, as I was just saying, when he rescinds. He, he counts it joy because Jesus is coming onto the scene and therefore he is moving out of the scene. And we live in our calling instead of a blind drivenness to achieve. We can really find rest and contentment. It's impossible to rest when you are always driven to achieve. 
Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. This is, this accomplishment-oriented, driven life is not the life that Jesus called us to. He called us to a fullness of life. And it's all throughout scripture. This is why there was a seventh-day Sabbath rest for the people of Israel. This is why it's important for us to emphasize and take a seventh-day Sabbath rest of some sort. I don't think we're held to it under the law anymore, but it is very important for your spiritual life so that you can learn to rest. It is a practice that reminds you that the world will go on without my work. It is a practice that will force you out of this achievement-oriented, driven mindset to say, I can sit, I can take a nap in the middle of the day, and everything will be okay. <laughs> it all doesn't depend on me. It's <laughs> taking a nap in the middle of the day. Uh, you guys, you should be so thankful for me right now. Like, I'm giving you an excuse to take a nap in the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds us that it all doesn't depend on me. It's okay. My house will be okay. The yard will be fine. My kids might be fine. Probably not if they're babies, right? You gotta, like, gotta plan for that if you got little kids around. <laughs> but it gives you an opportunity to rest. And honestly, how can you rest if you haven't established who you are? Like, how can you rest mentally in your soul, in your spirit? How can you rest if you're like, if you don't have an answer to the question, who am I? You can't. You will constantly be in turmoil. You have no foundation on which to do if you don't have an answer to the question of who am I? Contentment. Again, if you're always driven to achieve, you'll always be chasing the next thing. And there is always a next thing. If, if the tabloids and the pop culture society tells us anything, it's, it never ends. There is always something to be driven to next. And so a healthy inner life with God means we find contentment and we find peace. And we only can do that if we know what we're called to do and we become comfortable in what we're called to do. Only then can we know, like, I'm called to do this and not that. Otherwise, we're constantly trying to do that and searching for the that and thinking that we need to do that instead of just resting and finding contentment with God. One of the main questions that I always get about this topic, and I'm not gonna dive into it a ton, is how do we know what we're called to do? <laughs> it's a good question, it's a fair question. In Luke 3, we get a hint of how John learned of what he was called to do. It says very simply, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John was a little bit of a weird dude. He went off by himself. He ate locusts and honey. He wore camel's hair. Sounds itchy, right? <laughs> but he spent a lot of time alone. <laughs> and it was, the word for wilderness, it, it, it just means a lonely place, a desolate location. Depending on the context, it can mean a wilderness. It's an uninhabited region. It's a place where people are not, okay? It's a place where you are not being distracted by other things. So how do we know what we're called to do? I think this is a good hint for us. 
lots of other like simple practical tips that I can give you, but the best thing that I can tell you is just get alone with God. Turn off the distractions, go be by yourself somewhere and just sit with God. From there, there's a million things you can do. I don't really care. Just sit alone with God. <laughs> what do I think about? I don't know, God, think about him. <laughs> when you get distracted, think about God again. Go back to God and think about him more. In achievement-oriented, driven culture, you will never do this because it is completely unproductive. You're not producing anything. You're not doing any work. But it is so essential for you to have confidence in who you are. That is where God reminds you in your inner life who you really are. That's where you bring to him your doubts and your fears and your worries. You bring to him your failures. You say, God, I dropped the ball on this. And you'll, you'll sense this, this presence around you saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, I still love you. He's not gonna turn his back on you because you failed. Remember, his kingdom doesn't depend on you. <laughs> you have the privilege of serving him in his kingdom. It's where he just reminds you and speaks to your soul. And if we don't do this, we miss it. When we lose sight of our calling, we start striving for this and that, and we're exhausted and we're tired and we have no time to actually be with God. So the number one advice that I can give you is if you are uncertain about your calling, if you need to do a different occupation, if you need to just rethink your occupation and how you view it, whatever it might be, get alone with God. If you're constantly wrestling with who you are, you need to just get alone with God and have these reminders and allow him to speak to your spirit and remind you of who you are. And so the question for today that I want us to just wrestle with and sit with is, are you living out of your calling? And do you have a clear sense of, I'm gonna do this and I'm not gonna do that? Do you have a clear sense of, I... This is who I am and this is who I am not. And out of that identity, you're called to do and be on mission. If you don't have that clear sense, you need to get alone with God and just spend time with him and figure that out. Because it is so important for your rest, for your contentment, for your peace. Without that, you'll never have it. Let's pray. We're going to go into a time of communion. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would sense your calling. Know what we are called to do in this world, what we're called to make of this world, what we're called to not do. Lord, help us to rest in you. Lord, call us away from the distractions and away from all the stuff in our society to just be alone with you. And Lord, would you speak to our spirit. Remind us who we are. Remind us what we are called to do. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Communion elements are set up in the back. I invite all of you to take communion with us. Um, grab a cup and bring it back with you, and then we'll pray for it all together. Um, just sit for a second. I'll come up and we'll pray, and we'll take each one individually. So if you guys would follow me, start with the front rows, follow me to the back, and then each row. Once that row finishes, follow them. And grab your communion elements and come back and sit.
guys pray with me first for the bread? Lord, Jesus, we thank you that you knew your calling. You knew exactly what you were called to do. Lord, you would not be deterred from the cross. Lord, you came despite the, the pain, the imminent torture that awaited you. Lord, you walked into your calling, to your mission that the Father had given you to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to take our sin and bear it in your flesh and die on that cross. So Lord, we thank you for your courage, for your boldness, for your commitment to the Father as well that you exhibited by going to the cross and bearing our sin. Let's partake of the bread together. Let's pray for the cup. Lord, thank you for your blood that was shed for us that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we put none of our hope in our ability to accomplish holiness in and of ourselves. All of our hope for righteousness is in you, Jesus. You are our righteousness. And your work on the cross has made us holy. We thank you, Lord, and all of our trust is in you for taking away our sin by your blood that was shed for us. Let's partake of the cup together. you guys stand with us and sing one more song there's prayer available in the back if you need prayer please go pray with James and Angela during this last song this is all my hope and peace nothing but the blood of Jesus this is all my righteousness this is all my thank you that because of your son Jesus because of the grace that you have for us Lord God that if we believe God that if we've experienced your presence in our hearts and in our lives moving and working 
because of Jesus, God, we can have confidence in who we are. There's nothing we can earn. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves more deserving of your love. There's no accomplishments that can move us up the ladder towards you, God. You just love us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for that love. We thank you for sending Jesus to walk this earth, to live among us, to die and to be resurrected. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you guys need prayer, uh, prayer is available in the back. We encourage you to go and, uh, and spend some time back there if you'd like. Um, we were so glad to see everybody. We hope you have a wonderful week.